0: Back empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use back to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to back, B-A-K-K-T.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. Earn more with your crypto on Kava. Kava is a fully integrated, decentralized finance platform that puts the power of lending, borrowing, and trading in the hands of users. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry leading yields at kava.io today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shapiro, Director of News at The Block. And today, joining us on the other side of the mic is perhaps crypto's most renaissance man, an investor in the space, NFT connoisseur, prolific tweeter, handsome, can't forget that as well, and someone who is probably best known for being a blueberry boy. We have Loomdark. Thanks for joining us.
1: Ah, oh, Frank, that was such a warm and lovely introduction. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, obviously, people that are glued to crypto Twitter, like myself and, and some of my counterparts here at the block, are very aware of what you do in the space outside of the memery. You have your hands on many different projects from MetaDrop to Loomlock. And of course, you're involved with eGirls Capital which if you didn't check out that profile into Decrypt, you should. It's, it's an anonymous, basically an anonymous investing group of uh, a bunch of cartoon characters, I guess you'd say. So there's a lot of uh, folks that listen to this show from the traditional finance world. They probably don't have Twitter. They probably haven't been red-pilled on the metaverse yet. Uh, who is loomdark
1: Well, I mean, kind of how would I describe myself? That is a very good question. I guess I'm just at the very core of crypto native who just really, really loves crypto. And I think crypto can kind of impact people in many different ways than it currently does. And so for many years, I've just spent most of my time trading because like there was never anything I could really bring to the table apart from just like trading cryptos. But we're finally at like a place where crypto is kind of it's become big enough where there's a lot of vectors in which it can impact people. Like not just from a straight finance perspective. So I think now I've kind of come out of my cocoon or I guess my mom's basement. Yeah, I'm doing a lot more things now, which is a lot of fun. How did eGirls Capital get set up? Oh, boy. So it originally started as kind of like a meme from Sia where like, hey, guys, there's so many funds. What if like we just kind of made a meme fund called Ego Capital? Because this was back in the kind of start of the DeFi boom. Where obviously with DeFi, there's like there's no kind of barriers to entry for anyone. It's like as long as you have an Ethereum address and some Ethereum, you can take part. And the whole concept was like, well, why can't we do that taking part and level up to like the whole fund level? And we just kind of rolled with it and it's been going very well since.
0: So is it is it like an actual incorporated entity or is it kind of just a group of e-girls and interns trading together in a community-type fashion?
1: Um, There is a corporate structure behind e-girl capital because, um, unfortunately, the whole kind of anon system doesn't lend in well with the way some certain laws work. But yeah, there is a structure behind the company.
0: It's pretty interesting that you guys are out there. What's sort of like the big bet that, you know, kind of – has made you successful?
1: Um me personally, honestly, I think just everything that's involving crypto kind of touching more regular people, which currently really seems to be NFTs. But for more ego's Mm -hmm. sake, we think layer twos are gonna be pretty hefty. And also just an enormous collection of anime art. Because I'm like convinced anime is just going to take over the world. Why is that? Well I mean it's like for so many years People would love to like invest in not, in, not really invest, but just collect pieces of memorabilia, pieces of artwork from cultures they were just interested in. But there was always this really big taboo about how people just didn't like anime. But mm-hmm. I think it's more a case of like people liked anime. They were just scared to say they liked anime because it was like, oh, are you a weeb? Are you like a nerd? <laughs> but now it's kind of like, like how Star Wars went from nerdy to like cool and sexy of anime is having that
0: moment. When do you NFTs and the metaverse have that moment? I think a lot of people who have seen the run-up in some of these metaverse coins or these large NFT drops, people from the regular world, certainly reporters that I know from the non-crypto world, look at that and just think it's utterly ridiculous. But anime <laughs> kind of went through a similar transition. How does crypto go through that same transition?
1: So I think the issue with a bunch of these current crypto centric metaverse plays that have raised a lot of money is that they're what crypto people think normal people will like it's not well i mean in my personal opinion i don't think it's like things that normal people will actually like because crypto can be really complex and the everyday average joe isn't going to kind of commit to all the security things you need to do and all the extra time it takes to get set up just if they want to say play a game in the metaverse, and I think that's kind of the issue with all the offerings we have at the moment, where like it's more so a kind of crypto-engulfed metaverse, where like the metaverse is crypto, which I think it shouldn't be. It should be a metaverse where kind of crypto is in the back alleys, it's in the piping, it lets everything work, but it's not the core and center of it all.
0: Which kind of is like what Veil vale is building out. I know we talked about it a week or two ago the game is just a game and it leverages crypto in a way that makes the game better versus crypto for crypto's sake to an extent
1: oh yeah exactly i'd love to talk about this because so as kind of part of my job as helping the veil team do the drop on meta drop is like it's not really community outreach reach but kind of there's this whole consensus within the gamer world that like nfts are a net bad thing they're evil And so I've been just mass DMing hundreds of gamers and, like, asking, like, hey, guys, kind of, why do you hate NFTs so much? Do you know that, like, this is how they can benefit gaming? And so for the first part, there's this big misconception in the world that, like, anything that's involving a lot of money is, like, net bad. It's Like, it's the 1% versus the 99%. And most of these gamers just kind of instantly associate NFTs with the 1%. Because the only NFT things that really or just like cash are grab. like hey
0: cash grabbing. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, they spent sixty nine million dollars for one bit of artwork. It's just the same. Um, money laundering is said a lot. Yeah, and so they don't like even know that you can have other NFT systems where like <laughs> they're worth much, much less but they still serve a really cool purpose. And so when I describe so A brief kind of summary of what Veil is doing with NFTs for anyone listening is they are basically, it's a full first-person shooter in VR. There's no kind of, on the surface, you can't even see any crypto integrations. It's just on the back end, all of the weapon skins, in-game items, these will eventually be NFTs, that kind of you can trade between people. And what that does is basically gives everyone who kind of buys these skins, takes part in the game, just more control over the things they own. And so when I talk to gamers about this and I'm like, hey, guys, look, it just makes it way more modular. It's not like some existing games like Fortnite where kind of I have friends who spent thousands and thousands of pounds. uh, That's the British dollars on skins in Fortnite years ago. And they still play the game and buy these skins. And like it's very clear they're not having fun. And so I asked them, like, hey, guys, like, why are you still playing this? And it's the, it's the sunk cost fallacy where they're like, I have to play this because I've spent so much money on it.
0: So what do you think is the future of some of these more crypto-native games that some might describe as, as Ponzi's that are really... Kind of the antithesis of maybe what what Vail is, a normal game leveraging crypto versus a crypto game that's trying to be as fun as normal games, but really the thing that's bringing people to the game are these different incentives, not so much the game itself. I don't want to like pick on anyone, but if you want to, you're, you're more than welcome to as the guest. I'll put the onus on you, but what's the future of some of these more crypto-native
1: games? Um, so I will probably speak in broader terms because I'm just I think most crypto products aren't going to fail. And so regarding these kind of um, I guess finance games, these kind of more heavily based pay-to-earn games, the thing is I think they can still operate because like we live in a very unique world. And the whole concept of having fun is different for a lot of people. Now, my whole job with MetaDrop is to onboard non-crypto people into crypto. But let's say you're already in crypto, you're very wealthy, and you just enjoy the fact that you're not only playing these games, but you're also earning some currency. It's like kind of the whole earning part becomes part of the fun for you for the game. So I think there is definitely still a future for these. Um, I hate the word Ponzi, but like in crypto we've used the word Ponzi and scam like so many times, they've just completely denatured. But I guess like these more finance-based games, and I think there's definitely still room for them because like they they have an audience and their audience is kind of crypto people. And like there's been so much infrastructure built around them. And I mean like these projects have billions and billions of dollars. So like, yeah, the game... Like may not seem fun for now, but like it's hard to build a game with a lot, with millions. But like when you have billions, you can definitely start hiring some really good people. Yeah. yeah. I I just think that like they are more focused towards some existing crypto people or kind of like they need crypto people to kind of generate the infrastructure. While my whole goal is to basically onboard non-crypto people.
0: You touched on something that I've been thinking about a lot these past few weeks, the the way in which the crypto world has morphed or reimagined the word Ponzi. Um someone put it very eloquently on Twitter, I forget who it was, but they said they said something to the effect of, you know, in 2017 you'd you'd say, oh look, that's a Ponzi. I can't believe these idiots have invested in it. Now it's, oh, that's a Ponzi. Let me make sure I ape into it. And it's almost like we've embraced these different, these constructs of, of projects that, you know, you definitely don't want to be last, but there is an inflection point at which the Ponzi becomes so big that it's no longer a Ponzi. I I guess there's kind of two questions I'm trying to tackle there. The first is, why do you think we're so, or the community is now embracing these things that might have the trappings of a Ponzi and do you think some of them can be successful? I wonder, it's, is it just we've moved so far down the risk curve and people have made hundreds of thousands or millions on flipping different coins and they have the risk appetite to move into something a little more shaky?
1: Um. So I guess the whole kind of... So I think the world basically had a shift on their opinion of like, what gives something value? Like, is it the intrinsic worth? And in 2020, after kind of March, where the whole COVID hit happened and the banks decided to kind of print a lot of money. Now, I'm I'm not really in the kind of hyperinflation camp, but I'm more in the camp of like people realise that value is a very, very social construct. Like something is only worth something because people deem it so or it has that value in society. And I think Doge is, like, a very good example of this, where Doge is worth billions and billions of dollars, but, like, try find any intrinsic value or whatever. Like, it's just not there. But that's fine because people think it's worth that much. And so with these kind of... I'm assuming with Ponzi, you're talking about kind of the DeFi 2.0 system, where, like, you kind of pay in money to get more money afterwards, and then that money goes into a treasury. Mm Mm-hmm and so with a system like that i kind of i used to be a big skeptic of it because i was like hey this is clearly a ponzi scheme but then i started kind of looking into it And the whole thing is like well there's a lot of very smart financial people here and there's no kind of insane like um so the way most ponzies really fail is if the early people start to just well, cash out basically, because most people start Ponzies to make money. Mm-hmm. And this has the been the case with kind of Bitconnect and some other coins where kind of the founders start cashing out and they have so much capital that it kind of crushes everything. But things like Ohm, which were I guess distributed Ponzies where like there's a lot of people in that first stage who have like a lot of capital and it seems like their whole goal isn't just to make money it's to kind of bring forward this new defi primitive which is like it's a crazy thing to say but like just judging by how resilient ohm has been because it's had those kind of those big dumps that usually would kill ponzi's i guess like when a crypto goes down yeah 40%. You can expect that it's going to go down another 40% if it has the same kind of structure as own. But like it just bounces back. And it doesn't trade like a Ponzi. It trades like an actual crypto with like it has corrections and pumps and dumps, but they're never like okay, this is it. This is over. So I think the whole kind of Ponzi thing is more I mean, it you
0: you illustrate a juxtaposition yeah. that I saw in a headline from Coinbase, Andrew Thurman wrote that Olympus Dow might be the future of money or it might be a Ponzi. So right now it's kind of a game, but th- there gets to a point where there could be something that could be impactful for crypto.
1: I mean, yeah, like some coins have adopted their own bonding system for like their own distribution because like it can be really hard to get your token out into the hands of people. And the prior way they used to do this, which is um, liquidity mining, like it's just not a very good system because you're basically having to use your treasury to bribe people to like take part in your project. And it's just, as we've seen from these kind of DeFi 1.0 charts, liquidity mining is not, like it's good for the short-term price because guys get a bunch of your coin, they get more as the price goes up. But over time, like all of these... new liquidity you're unlocking is getting straight market dumped
0: back is the digital wallet of the future empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send, or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at Back, Bakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go, 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. Are you ready to take your crypto earnings to the next level? Kava is a fully integrated decentralized finance platform that combines institutional-grade security and user-driven design. Lend, borrow, and trade your crypto all in one seamless experience. Find out how you can take control of your crypto and earn industry-leading reward APYs at kava.io today. I want to go back to NFTs and the metaverse what do you think most projects out there are getting wrong about nfts in the metaverse
1: um well it kind of it's tough because there's been a few kind of different cliques recently so (laughs) uh, there so i think everyone has heard the whole quote about why dig for gold when you can sell shovels (laughs) which like it's a valid quote But sometimes I feel like people take it a bit too to heart. And so we've had so many raises by kind of guilds, which uh, for anyone who's listening, so a guild kind of, so most crypto pay-to-earn games require an NFT to play the game and earn the currency. And most of the actual kind of farmers for these games can't afford those nfts so what a guild does is it will have a vault of these nfts that are like tickets to play the game and then it will loan not loan out but it will give these tickets to users who can then play the game and then it will take say 20 or 30 percent of their revenue from playing and then the person that kind of did the plane takes the rest and a bunch of these have been raising very very successfully recently but kind of the actual games they do have to play to earn are, like, not keeping up. And I think that that system's kind of somewhat bizarre. I guess it makes sense where nobody really wants to bet on which big metaverse play-to-earn, I guess, but not metaverse, just which play-to-earn game is going to be next. Well, if you bet on these guilds, it's like a more diversified bet. But I feel like the issue with all these diversified bets is, like, what are they which NFTs are they going to buy for which projects like how are they kind of going to provide their value if there's not many projects that are actually kind of doing the whole play to earn thing and then there's the whole issue of like lots of these play to earn games are kind of one to one clones of each other and it's a case of like the the first few did really well because they were made years ago and there wasn't like they were made to have fun to be something new it wasn't a case of, oh, look, this new crypto thing came out. Let's clone it one-to-one and raise, like, 20 million. And so crypto can tell when that happens and when, like, people are just raising money for a project just to kind of cash in on the flow. And, like, it just won't get much traction or usage, which I think is going to become somewhat apparent in, like, the next few weeks or months or years on some of these release schedules.
0: What's going to happen in the next few weeks?
1: Um, Just, like, how th- these games have promised quite a bit, but I mean, after being kind of in. So I've been working directly with the Veil team for like a few weeks and seeing how they work. And like they've been doing this for years. And building a mm-hmm. game is very, very, very hard. Like there's so many choices that have to go into. There's so many kind of decisions that have to go into each choice. And it's like, it's a tough battle for sure.
0: Yeah, it's a really challenging endeavor which is something that like people don't think about a lot how hard it is to be a game or what about the state of the market (laughs) right now is it it's so funny how i don't know you you, you're kind of a pontificator you shed light on on things
1: so i think basically what's happening is in crypto is it's happened a few times it's we're kind of The crypto guys aren't really sure what is going on. They're, like, somewhat worried that stuff has become very overblown. But ever since this kind of metaverse narrative started and um, Facebook did the whole meta brand takeover, there's been just this gigantic influx of capital that, like, every big fund is basically now mandated to kind of follow in Facebook's footsteps just to make sure that they don't miss out on, like, whatever this huge play Mark Zuckerberg is doing is. And so all of this money is flowing into not just crypto, but like metaverse adjacent projects. And I think it's like it looks weird on the crypto charts because it's like, geez, guys, these games have like 20, 30 billion dollar valuations. Like how much higher can this stuff go? The thing is, a lot of this capital coming in, like it doesn't really care about some valuations, you could say. Because like the value they put in kind of provides value of itself where like, yeah these games have really high valuations, they may not currently be fun, but like now they have billions of dollars to work with. And I mean a few of the ones that are really like vested. And that's
0: gonna recycle back into the space.
1: Um yeah, exactly. I mean all of this metaverse interest is gonna become crypto interest. Because like the metaverse only really has two end games. One is like a crypto backed one. And the other is like a kind of Facebook backed one. Mm. So I think it's just a case of crypto people not being too sure where all of this money is coming from. But it's less a case of like crypto guys just reusing their profits to reinvest into crypto, which I think some people are thinking. And it's more a case of just there's so much new outside interest.
0: Well, let's run through the list. Over the past month, we've had a number of big funds raise and companies that have raised Solana Ventures, FTX, Lightspeed announced a $100 million blockchain gaming fund. The Sandbox raised $93 million. Mythical Games raised 150 million. Blockchain game developer Forte had a 725 or a $725 million raise. So, you have strong investment inflows into the space despite maybe the price of some of these liquid tokens. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see whether this was a, an instance in which maybe the token appreciation outpaced the price or rather the growth of users and the expectations of demand for these games. But I mean, when you have that money sitting there, and I, I don't I think this is your point, it's a matter of when, not if, they're able to make something fun, useful. And enjoyable out of what they have from their hmm. from this massive yeah, exactly. collective war chest.
1: And kind of something else I would really like to touch on is the fact that like this isn't twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen is crypto anymore where if the price of one thing goes down, everything goes down. Like crypto people are using a... old models. Exactly. <laughs> this is like they're thinking of back when kind of crypto was one thing. It was just Bitcoin. It was just Ethereum. Only one thing could go up. Because like When Ethereum went up, Bitcoin, some usually kind of went down. There was counter correlations. Everything was just one market. But like crypto was evolved so far beyond that. It's such a mature and kind of, it's an actual market Mm. now. And I think a bunch of like the pain of 2018, 2019, just watching your money diminish day after day after day. has been kind of brandished into people's brains. And like the fear of that happening again is just crippled. I still have
0: PTSD,
1: bro. I I still wake up and just like the first thing I do is check the price. (laughs) I break out in a sweat. Four years, but
0: can't breathe. It's like I have COPD.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's just you know, it was it was rough. It was really rough. But like crypto is in the place where, like we have kind of won. Like it's the big funds and the big money trying to get in on our pie now. And so it does present these really weird dynamics in the chart. But I think think we're going to basically just become like the second stock market, really, where it's not so much volatility dies, but on a very, very zoomed out time frame, it's just going to slowly go up forever, basically.
0: Price, not volatility.
1: Price, yeah. Just like stocks, basically. Because I mean... Before there was always like it's like hey you can cash out of crypto into real money because like crypto's a fugazi, it's just a big pump and dump, it's a way to make money. But now it's like crypto is kind of seen as some form of a safety net. It's like hey, there's an ecosystem here, you can enjoy it. It's like there's much more money coming in, I think.
0: And it is it is more dynamic if you look at something like Bitcoin specifically, which is kind of taking its place as, as boomer coin. It's obviously has become less volatile, but even in the way it reacts to different headlines, if you have an inflationary headline like the CPI data drop, Bitcoin pumps, but sometimes it acts like a risk asset or stock. And if there's bad COVID news or the Fed says something that markets don't like, Bitcoin's going to tank. And then in other instances, you know, you have NFTs when they're up, ETH is probably down, and vice versa. And then you also have this new dynamic of of liquidations that happen like every month or so, OI shoots up, futures heat up, the funding rates increase, and then everything kind of blows up, big dip, large investors buy up the dip, and we're back where we started. Are there any, I guess, do you have any thoughts on some of those dynamics? And are there any other dynamics that you, you find fascinating?
1: Um. So kind of funding has been my bread and butter for like ever since kind of 2018 because it's one of those market metrics that like can't be gamed like you can't extrapolate stuff from funding really because it's just like an inherent law of the market it's like it just is Mm -hmm. and so i really really like funding is like it it shows everyone's cards and you can't fake it or like try and manipulate it like it's just something that is and so it's always been, like, a very, very good tool to, like, gorge a general sense of the market. And so I think it's just a case of, like, greed, really. Sometimes, so in relation to the inflation headlines, which I'll kind of focus on, I think basically what happens there is a few people see these, well, for the ones where it pumps and then dumps, it's like people see these headlines and they're like, oh, shit, Bitcoin, oh, pardon me. They're like, oh, Bitcoin is really happening, like inflation's coming, it's time to buy, it's time to buy, and they start buying with leverage. But the thing is, like, anyone who's going to buy a significant chunk of Bitcoin on some instant inflation news probably did it like a year ago. Like, there's no real new money coming in the second this headline hits. No one is going to go, oh, snap, the inflation is actually 2%. It's time to buy, buy, buy right now. Like, no one's making that big decision. So what happens is you have a bunch of people who just bought on leverage hoping that, like, more money would come in. And then when no new money is coming in because, like, no one's going to completely change their entire investment thesis of, like, one headline. All of these guys who bought on margin, like, they have Bitcoins that they don't want to keep for, like, anything beyond the short term. So they're like, well, if I can't sell high, I better sell here so I don't get trapped. And then all of these bought-up coins are just being smashed onto the market. as like all these guys are trying to get out. And then we get those like really volatile periods. But then like, you zoom out onto like the day, of the week, and then it's like a little blimp. Yeah. It's kind of how I would say. So what are some of your –
0: what what are you anticipating for the next year? How do you envision the market further evolving? Does maybe ETH flip Bitcoin? What surprises might be in store?
1: Ooh, the flippening. So I'm I'm a bit kind of non... I think if the flippening happens, it would open up Pandora's box, basically. And like the whole concept of value within crypto would change and then stuff might get really, really weird. Because it's like a case of, well, Bitcoin is the best thing of being Bitcoin. Like ETH is just a different kind of coin. It's more tech. Is it kind of like...
0: Remove the ceiling for
1: value in this space? Hmm, I think it not just removes the ceiling, but it also kind of removes the flaw in that, like, if you can't trust Bitcoin as being the most valuable, and ETH's whole value is kind of the fact that it's programmable, smart money, but like, there's going to be better, quicker versions of ETH. But like, so nothing is going to be a better Bitcoin than Bitcoin because, like, it's good enough at what it does. It's like how there was thousands of things better than gold over the three or 4,000 years gold was in existence. But, like, there was so much value tied into gold because it was already, like, the gold standard, I guess. That, like, there was never enough value from these newer things to let them take over gold until Bitcoin came along and kind of was the gold of the digital era. And so, like, I... Don't think anything has anywhere near the value that Bitcoin does have, which would make me worry about if we did have a fitting, suddenly this gold standard of the market is like overtaken. And what would that mean in terms of how people are willing to invest? Because you can see with Ethereum where like these alternative layer ones like AVAX, like Solana, like some could argue that these have straight up better value than Ethereum. And so it's like, what do you trust? Where can you lay your nest eggs for your security if Bitcoin gets flipped? Because, like, are you going to go on ETH? But, like, maybe Solana's better than ETH. Do you have to buy some Solana then? And it creates this weird system of where everyone kind of has to become an active trader, which I don't think is like good. It's why I'm somewhat worried about flipping. You always have stables. Uh, stables, ugly. <laughs>
0: Wow, this was a lot of fun. Where can our listeners learn more about you, Loom Dart?
1: Um, so my Twitter is uh, twitter dot com slash loomdart, and I think if you're willing to bypass the hours upon hours of just stream of consciousness spam, I I give out some alpha every like few weeks.
0: <laughs> That's how you separate the week from the shaft.
1: Yeah, it's just that you know it's like a hazing process, like a sorority. <laughs> they must pass the trials.
0: Well, Lumdar, pump it, Bloomberry boy. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening.